Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast for people who love movies by people who love movies. I'm Sam, I'm an academic and writer, I've lectured in universities, taught in schools and currently work in a sick form of college teaching literature. He's Rob, a podcaster, editor, author, one of whose careers he's had several. Saw him travel the world for nearly a decade as part of the movie business. Essentially, I know how things work on paper, he knows how things work in practice, and we bring these two perspectives to our discussions of the films we focus on. Films you know and love, films you might not look around to seeing, and the films you had no idea existed. We take a different movie each episode, and as well as short reviews, we talk about the cultural, theoretical, historical significance of each. Which sounds heavy, it really isn't. We end with recommendations linked to the episode's film in some way, and we start by talking briefly about what else we've been watching, consuming media-wise. So, Rob, what about you? I am on a deep kick currently of watching old-school technical movies. I'm sure I talked about this last time in the episode, but I'm just really into these really, really old, technicolor, bright, colourful movies. And currently that has focused down on pirate films. And I've watched a bunch. There are some on iPlayer. Um, but the one that I've watched the last week is Against All Flags, which is an Errol Flynn, Maureen O'Hara pirate movie. Uh, essentially, he plays a British officer who's sent undercover into a pirate stronghold, falls in love with Captain Spitfire Stevens, played by uh, Maureen O'Hara. And it is swashbuckling. It is beautiful in that way that technical movies are. And it's just a good yarn i think that i've me personally i'm delving into these movies for the look of them i've talked in the past in the show about how i kind of sometimes get bored of the very plain gray look with a lot of movies these days and i've just kind of dove into tech color they're kind of exploding color and particularly it being a pirate movie and this era of pirate movies it's all bright green coats and red trousers and colorful headdresses and all of that and it's just it's a sumptuous feast for the eyes and it's errol flynn being errol flynn on screen and you know wiggling a sword around and seducing ladies it's just a good fun time what about you sam well, in the latest instalment of Rob Recommends Something, then three months later, Sam gets around to watching it, um, I watched Knives Out this Ooh. week, which I absolutely love. And I, it's kind of, it, it's, it's very clever, first of all, but it's not so clever that you can't work out what's going on. Yet I found that even when I knew I could tell exactly what was going to happen, I didn't care because it was just so beautifully done. Is brilliantly directed by Ryan Johnson. It's got an amazing cast. It's got Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Chris Evans and Daniel Craig doing an extraordinary accent. And it's just a lot of fun and I loved it. So yeah, Knives Out, brilliant. I will say Knives Out is the absolute genesis of where I am right now with my movies. Because I watched that, which sent me off onto a deep dive into murder mystery movies. Mm. And there is a heyday of those that's 
before now, basically. It is an outlier in its movies. And so mm. that sent me back to looking at other movies earlier and earlier and earlier, which led me to Technicolor and where I am now. Oh. It's just brilliant. It works so well. Um, there are many videos online about why it is good, but just it, it just it's just so good. I kind of, I mean, as much as I wanted to talk about the Italian job today, I kind of found myself hoping that we could just talk about Knives Out instead. We'll do a bonus episode for Patreon. But Sam has mentioned there that we are talking this week about a different film tonight out. We are in season four currently, and what we're doing is mini-seasons looking at film genres throughout the years. And we're currently looking at heist films. And so we have reached the Italian job. Go! You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. We are about to do a job in uh, Italy. It's a very difficult job, and the only way to get through it is we all work together as a team. And that means you do everything I say. now what would you like <laughs> everything
Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. The Italian Job is a 1969 British heist movie. It tells the tale of Charlie Croker, played by Michael Caine, who puts together a crew of Brits who go to Italy to rob gold bullion. They are coming up against the mafia and the general unplanned things happen on a heist. It has a very high profile cast in terms of had Noel Cowell playing a very, very good Mr. Bridger, who is the Don, I suppose, of British crime, operating out of a prison cell in a prison. Benny Hill, Raffaline, there's some great cast in this, and Michael Caine, obviously, as the lead. But this film is not known for its actors, it's not known for its plot or its casting, it's known for its heist, and it's known for its escape. Infamously, the three red, white and blue minis that go running around Turin, allowing the escape of the gold bullion once the robbery's happened. It is, I'm sure, sorry me, an iconic part of British culture in a way that is baked into part of being British is the Italian job. Like it or not, it is a large part of our culture and it has inspired many, many things over many, many years and it is a core part of being British is knowledge and experience of the Italian job. That being said... How was it for you, Sam? I think that is a really good place to start because this is such, however you feel about nationalism, it's a very nationalistic film. Mm-hmm. And so I, I found myself enjoying it, but not overly so. I didn't think it was absolutely amazing. I thought it was, thought it was fun. I thought the escape was fun. I thought outwitting people was fun. The ending payoff is interesting. We'll talk about that later, but... It, it, yeah, I, I found myself, the, the I suppose the cornerstone of it is nationalism, and I didn't really know how to feel about that, mm-hmm. the, the Britishness, as you've you brought it up already. Um, so yeah, I did enjoy it. it. I enjoyed it, and I thought it was fun, but with reservation. I I would echo that, I suppose. I, mean, I, I really enjoy Italian job. On a like pure visceral level, it has for me all the hallmarks that you want to see in a good heist film. It has some technical aspects. It has technology as part of the heist. You have the coming together of the crew in a small way in this, and you have the escape. And you have all it has all those building blocks that I like in the movie. I think Michael Caine is charming. He's very charming, very charismatic, and the film has a lot going for it in the way it handles a lot of things about them. But the heist comes about in a way to try and disarm a Chinese-Italian deal. That's what they're trying to avert, basically, here. What's what Bridger is happy to do is to yeah. try and damage another country. Um, and we're, we're in the late 60s here, um, so the political time is interesting, shall we say. So it's a very... I'm with you. Like You operate on two levels. I think you operate it uncritically. It's just great. And in terms of... like as a Brit nationalist British things, it's probably more towards the harmless end of things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Compared to a lot... I mean, I mean, I don't know how much our international listeners know about Britain right now, but we are in the midst of a nationalistic resurgence in many ways, Brexit and all that, and some of it's very, very harmful. And this isn't. You know, the, the infamous line in which Michael Caine basically threatens every Italian person in Britain, it doesn't feel like it comes from a place of racism. It comes from a place of getting the job done. Mm, yeah. And we don't like it. It's not nothing. In this day and age, it's a horrible thing to say. But it 
isn't from a place of he dislikes Italians. He just doesn't... He wants to do the job. So it is hard to separate this out. Um, but as a heist film, I think it is a very good heist film. I very much enjoy it. Um, and I think at some point I'd like to talk about the historical context to this. Um, I don't know how much you know this, Sam, but I think one thing I'd like to mention about is I think about five years earlier. So four, four years earlier. So in terms of film production, probably about two years earlier before it yeah. was The Great Train Robbery, which anyone outside the UK may not have heard of. Essentially about 16, 15, 16 people robbed a train coming from Glasgow down to London um, and got away with gold. I think it was gold or money. It was a big sort of thing at the time. And it was one of the first times in British culture in which I suppose the public was on the side of the criminals, the audacity of it and the kind of Robin Hood S nature of it. And you know, that, that, that kind of thing kind of captured the British spirit at the time. And I think you can see the echoes of that in this, in that it's it's really the first time, particularly in our looking at heist films, where you've got a really large crew in a like, kind of British way where they aren't like the, the Ocean's Eleven kind of felt like they were kind of like gentlemen gentlemen robbers. They're just like on a lark doing it. Mm. Whereas this was they, they were career criminals. They weren't like doing one job. These were career criminals. All of them were career criminals. You know, they're coming out of prison, and we still like them. You know, it pulls together what we talked about last week from Bonnie and Clyde in that we like these people. We start to like the heroes. We still have the ending in which they don't quite get away with it, um, but it's much more open-ended versus previous movies. Um, but it has a lot of that too, I think. And The Great Train Robbery, there's an echo of that in this movie, of this kind of British heist team pulled together of working-class lads and the chinless wonders, as he calls them, and there's you know there's a, a black man in it there's camp freddy like there's a, a mixing pot of britain within this team it's still very white still very male it's only got one female who they kind of put on a plane halfway through but the film has the crew itself has that kind of mixing pot feel of it um which i think is a good thing i just wish it wasn't tied so much to doing one over on the italians mm, yeah although it is interesting that the film is obviously aware of that and they don't get away with it at the end. I mean, you've said the ending is ambiguous, but you get the feeling that whatever plan Charlie Kruger has is not going to work and mm. they they haven't got away with it at the end. Like, that's an interesting one, that throughout it you've been cheering for the Brits. The, the film has made you put you on the side of the British against the the evil, evil Italians, the terrible, the, the mafia, the, the people you don't like, the people who drove bulldozers into cars. Mm. And yeah, at the end, you're made to think, well, actually, our guys haven't got away with it. So it's kind of, yes, it is inherently nationalistic from the beginning, but it, it provides an interesting questioning of that at the end. And I feel well, I think- like, I, I, I enjoyed that other film and I feel... Yeah, I don't want to want to have been too down on it at the beginning because I do think this is and this is a a really fun film to watch, and the like the historical issues with it are something that the director is aware of. But I think I mean it's interesting to talk there about the opening with the uh, bulldozer and the car crash. I think from a filmic point of view, they f- they frame the. British and the Italians, who that mafia and the British criminals, entirely differently, and it's very interesting. If you watch all the scenes with the mafia, 
it's all very like a lot of faithless people. They're all on top of the hills with their guns. It's very militaristic. Mm. It's very faceless mass Overwatch style, and it's brutal. It's vicious. You know that whole you know waiting in in secret at the end of the tunnel. It's like not even having decency to hit a man in the street. It's, you know, like it's it, like it, not not to bring this up at every opportunity, but it's the the way the Butch Cassidy and the Sunlands Kid feel chased feel pursued like the the mm. figures appearing on mountains like you said there's something evil and depressive and bad about everyone else it's them against the world so it's the brits against this terrible italian force and i think like, heist movies tend to need a i suppose a obstacle to overcome it needs something to overcome uh, be it an antagonist be it the police be it whatever and the police in this are kind of nothingness really they aren't featured much at all and so the mafia provide that but that framing of the, of, the, of the mafia being this kind of all in black, they're very serious and they're evil in the way they, they perform their, their duty. Balance that against the Brits, but they're all sitting at one table. They're all very, it feels very a collection of peers. Even Charlie, who is in theory the boss, outside of Mr. Bridger, there seems to be no hierarchy to British crime. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the, when, they, when they teach a lesson to judge Charlie, it's, you know couple of guys roughing up in a back room it's a very different feel it has a kind of homely um like couple of lads feel and it's something that you see a lot in british say british crime drama and we'll touch more on this as we go down i think into maybe the 90s but there's a real like idea in britain about working class criminals um and the jack the lad aren't they a bunch of scamps feel to a lot of it Hmm. You can look at it, you can see it here, you can see it, I mean, I think we'll do it in time, we'll do, look at Lockstock. There's, there's very much this feeling that we are, we're all lads over here, and they're working, you see, you see it in Peaky, Bl- Peaky Blinders, to this day you see it in Peaky Blinders. The idea that, that the these working class criminals are are all bad, and they are the, an, the anti-heroes of British culture in many ways. You know, football hooliganism is a massive genre over here in terms of movies. Hmm. And this, this kind of overlaps a little bit. Even when we way way back, we talk about Sexy Beast, which is another theory made a heist film. But Ray Winston in that is a working class criminal who has retired out of the game, but he's our, he's our hero. Mm. And I think there's something in in this way the film projects the Brits as these melting pot of peers and scamps versus the mafia as this imposing, always watching, vicious, evil group of people. Mm. And that's all done through framing. It's all done through the framing of the groups and their faces. Actually, it's you, you brought something there that I haven't, I'd, I'd forgotten entirely. That Bridger and his cronies rough up Charlie, and Char- there's main, they make no mention of that anywhere else in the film. It's like Charlie has accepted that that was his punishment. It was his penance. He did that. Fine. He's he's got over it and he's moved on. And they don't really mention that at all. Like within a couple of minutes, he's meeting Bridget about the job. I think that that I agree. I think that's a really nice filmic trick in that it it establishes Charlie as this kind of ever optimistic, happy go lucky chap. Mm. That he kind of he, he bantered with him a little bit and he took his beating and then they moved on. And like that's why the ending works. That the, the, the ever optimistic Charlie lads have got a plan. That's why that works because he's been established all along as this person who just takes every hit and keeps on coming. You know, just keeps rolling on, next plan, next plan, keeps smiling. Hmm. I wonder whether that's... I mean, you you mentioned later Sexy Beast, Lockstock. Is that something that 
extend beyond heist films. Is that something we talked about in Lives Out earlier on? Is there sort of a, a, a quintessentially British crime film, just as there is a British heist film or a British rom-com? Is that something that you can see across genres? I think, I think there is. I think there's a... I suppose it's... In many ways, they often... I haven't read you know, America is a country obsessed with race. Mm. And Britain is a country that's a class, and over here we like our criminals to be working class. We don't. We like the 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 poor man standing up to the rich man. It's, it's the ingrained Robin Hood in our in our culture mm. that we don't trust the rich, and we elevate a man who will do one over on them. Um, and that's why you have a lot of British crime movies about a group of poor guys or working class guys making good. And I think that's that's what that's the, the 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 crux of British crime dramas. And if we do talk about Lockstock or Snatch or something like that, the um, Guy Ritchie movies down the line, you'll see a lot more of that. Um, and there is an element of you know celebrating working class culture and that kind of thing. But that's a very British way of doing things. You know that class is very much a distinction for us. And I don't know if you've seen it, but The Gentleman was a recent um, no, Guy Ritchie film. It's a it's a Guy Ritchie film. Okay. It's another crime crime drama um, by him. It's got Hugh Grant in it, playing a working class skeevy um, criminal journalist playing against type. And that movie's all about class, about who is rising up, who's going down. And that I think is the good one, but a very common British drama. It's about the idea of class. Mm. So, but I think also it's this film is iconic in many many ways, and it plays you say about nationalistic like the. The uh, minis are red, white, and blue. They escape in a football ho- football van. Mm. So much of this movie is draped in British iconography. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end, they have this this Bridger walks through the prison, and there's like round of applause and this adoration poured on him. And it's not because he's done the job. The job is just a job. He's done. He's pulling one over on the Italians. And so much of this movie constantly comes back to this: doing one over the Italians, doing one over the Italians. Mm. Um, and I think it. It does that in both the framing where, like, we have, you know, Britain is classic cars and it's um, a room full of hotties in the hotel room. It's that kind of swinging 60s, everything's charming. And you go to Turin and it's noisy and damp and they're in a falling down house to do it in. And everything's more brutalistic. Um, And it's a really kind of a film shot in this way that really highlights the difference in the places. Mm. The Britain is this safe place that is organized and nice and fun and Turin is noisy and messy and dirty and it just chaotic and it's in many ways like it's I'm trying to think the the height itself is not laughably easy but goes very smoothly mm, yeah and I think that's, that's another thing that is this kind of nationalistic tense but like the thing that troubles them is not any Italian. That was easy to do. It's easy for all the Italians. The tricky thing was getting drunk and falling off a cliff. Mm, yeah. But that was the thing that did them. And it, the, the film doesn't, even even the mafia, once they're kind of the big showdown they have at the hills and then they, they lose all their, all their cars, they're kind of not there anymore. No. Mm. Um, and it's, the film does a lot of work to make our heroes be heroes. Yeah, you know, the end before before the um the, the, the off the crash, like they they're all cheering and you're cheering with them, like they, they've got away, they've done it, it's brilliant. Um, but what they've done basically is just rob Italy. Mm. Yeah, 
it's a couple of things you mentioned earlier on that a couple of really really good things about this film is the use of technology which feels more more modern than a 1969 film even like from the opening from sort of something simple like credits appearing on the windscreen of a moving car that feels new that feels like the sort of dynamic credits you get appearing in tv shows in the past 20 years mm-hmm. and then you have the technology when when the the guy drops the whatever they are i think the, the interfere with the cameras he drops them in twice pins um but then you have and like you you mentioned that the the clarity and the orderliness about British the British approach to a heist. You have that so the technology is surprisingly good and everything's clear and works well when you when they're in Britain. Even like I really appreciated the way they that Charlie just went round the room introducing everyone because that's what annoys me about ensemble films is the fact that it takes me a while to work out who's who and what they do as it annoys me is a bit much, but that's something that I feel you need to work at often with ensemble films, and it was it was nice to have that clarity. The way that Chai said, "Okay, this is X, Y, and Z, and they're doing this, this, and this." Mm. Okay, right, thanks for that. So there's there's a clarity in the organisational sense to everything in Britain. I also really like the way that they practice so much. Yeah. It felt, I, I don't know if you've said that, well, they, it's right, the, the mafia don't really appear later on, but you get the sense that there's even something nationalistic about that. It's the sense that sort of Italians, Europeans in general, continental Europeans do things with flair and mm. they do things on the hoof and they improvise and what you do if you're British and working class and honest is a strange word to use about criminals, but there's something something on the honesty among thieves about the way they're paid. What you do as one of them is you work hard and you practice and you practice and you practice and you've got everything absolutely right and that's how you get a heist running smoothly and like you said it runs it runs particularly smoothly and it's really interesting that they they're not foiled by the police or by the mafia or by the army or anything. They any any anyone. They're foiled by a mountain and by the fact that they want to get drunk. I think you're right. I think, but I think that's if you're looking at this as like a whole, as it sits in the, the canon of high movies. Like this film was really reminiscent of Rafifi. Mm. And Rafifi obviously is a, you have that that phrase in which they kind of worked things out. And in Rafifi, it was very like quick scene. They worked out how to deal with the alarms but here there was a lot more about learn to drive learn to do the tricks learn to blow the van up and there was a lot all that work of you seeing them like modifying the cars and there was much more of that and i think you can see that line through from that movie to this and i like i say i really like that bit i think this film this film in many ways distilled a lot of what i've liked up until now of heist films like it had the introductions of all the crew which i liked but didn't have the long-winded and pointless ones of ocean's 11 no and it had the heist um, and the planning of Rafifi, but more drawn out and more complex. Now, the Rafifi was amazing. I don't, don't want to do anything from that, but it was a more modern version of that same thing and a more, I suppose, grand version of it. Like you can you know, look at something like this and take it all the way forward to like you know, Fast and the Furious. Um, and it's just that kind of 
the targets get bigger and the missions get more complex. But whereas Rafifi was robbing one store, they're robbing a van here, so they need more people and more things and all of that. But you can see where it sits. And this is one of the times I've really, you can really see the evolution of this genre and these tropes to which Pilot expect to see in this genre. You even get a subverting of a trope, which is quite rare for this early in the development of a genre, or only sort of 15, 10, 15 years into it, that you have one of the um, one of the guys saying, should we synchronise our watches? And Charlie says, nuts to your watches. And mm. it's, there's, there's I, I really enjoyed that. There's sort of this, the po-face synchronising watches, do it now, and everything goes like clockwork. And there's, even though we've seen just how organised and how clever in in a in in a British way they've presented it, there's still that room for subversion of that trope. But I think also that links back a little bit to what we were saying earlier about the British working mansness. Like you see their practicing, but all you really see is it going wrong. Mm, yeah, you know, you see, and it's that feeling of like we aren't we aren't flash and we aren't you know, highly stylized and spec. We are just a bunch of honest lads doing honest work. Yeah. And they aren't honest lads or doing honest work, but there's that real feel to it, that kind of idea of the British working class lads. They're just working. Mm. And and they aren't flashy or showy, and it isn't about being fancy, watching it, but it's just doing their jobs. And I think that's once, it's, it's once again, it's mythologizing this idea of the journeyman, the British journeyman, yeah. who turns up and does his job, does it well and goes home. In a way that you know, like a lot of that American dream that you talk about, which is another big cultural like, dread, not in our lives. American dream. We haven't got a British dream. There isn't that kind of making a man for yourself. We don't have that kind of rising above your class. Like doing an honest day's work is a good thing in our culture. Yeah, being a manager does your job and does it well, and coming home is a good thing in our culture. And here the, the job is robbing billion but there's that still that same kind of feeling of the british culture of like we respect people who just do their job without fancy that fuss and get on with it which is something i wanted to talk about was these are uh, i often say this use of music in this film but something that's linked to that is one thing that gets played as well as rural britannia and their various um complex nationalistic ideas about around that song there's the tune the british grenadiers and the first verse of the British Grenadiers is all about you. You've got all your heroes. You've got all your. You've got Alexander and Hercules and Hector and Lysander. But we just do our job. We turn up and we do things by the book and we get things done. There's none that can compare to the British Grenadiers. There's something so like sort of the essence of exactly what you were saying about the attitude to the criminals in this film is encoded in in the first verse of that song yep yeah i agree do you have some recommendations for us i do um they're both michael kane films um well not like kane films so the first one is um the first one is a film that <laughs> my wife is not going to remember this particularly fondly um my mum dad chose a film for us to watch um Fairly early on in our relationship, relationship between my wife and I, um, and as a sort of quote-unquote cosy family film to watch when she came for Christmas, I think maybe in the first time she came to my house, uh, the cosy family film they chose to watch was Harry Brown. Ooh. 
which really is yeah <laughs> um it's a good film but it's it's really not cozy um so yeah don't go into it thinking this is a nice gentle family film to watch at christmas but it is worth watching um and the second one i believe i've talked about before but i'm so highlighted it's a michael gain film he was he was a bit part in this film it's the first kingsman film and the sequel was not as good as the first and was complicated by various things um kingsman the closing gag aside is very good and um, so yeah thoroughly recommended colin firth is great um taron Egerton is great samuel jackson is a good sort of um overacting performance from him intentionally overacting um and that scene with colin firth and taron Egerton, where colin firth it would you introduced to colin firth as a kingsman for the first time Mallers make of man when he Shuts them in the pub is just amazing, and I love it. So those are my two recommendations. Um, Harry Brown and the first Kingsman, The Secret Service. i also gone down the Michael Caine route. I think it's hard to, with this movie, not look at another Michael Caine film. And this is a film I actually, actually mentioned previously on this show, um, and that's the 1972 film Sleuth. I mentioned earlier about my deep dive into murder mysteries, and this is very much in that wheelhouse. Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier, literally just the two of them, the entire movie. And it is a elaborate cat-and-mouse game of mental wits between the two of them, of accusations of murder and framings and double crossings and all of that. I really won't say much about the plot at all because it doesn't do you well to go into it anything but cold. It is a film that rewards going in cold and knowing nothing about what's going on. It, has, it works in that respect. But it is Michael Caine... Still in that young, he's he's the younger one. Um, they did a remake where he was the older character. It wasn't good. But Laurence Olivier, Michael Caine, and it's sleuth, and it's just it's just so good. It's so it was a play first, and you can tell many times, but it was just so well done, mm. and it had me on the edge of my seat all the way through. So if you haven't seen Sleuth, I heartily recommend it because it's one that is, isn't talked about a lot, but I think it's well worth checking out if you like. If you like words, if you like play, if you like anything, any media, see it. My second recommendation is going to be contentious. And that is the 2003 remake of The Italian Job. Yeah, so that that is exactly what you'd expect from that yeah. movie. It is how to describe Italian Job. The Italian Job, the remake, 2003, is a good heist action film. And it would have been considered a good heist action movie if they hadn't called it The Italian Job. It bears mm. little resemblance to the first um, film, and they even said it's an homage to the original rather than the remake. And if they just left it as being another heist action movie, it would have been great, because it's a good, fun film. But the second they said, oh, this is The Italian Job, everyone's comparing it to The Italian Job, and it's not going to stack up. It can't stack up against that. Mark Wahlberg, for all his pluses, is in no way as charismatic as Michael Caine. And it just mm. doesn't work in that kind of comparison between the two. So, this is a weird way of saying, I think you should watch it if you'd like the movies. You just have to go into it knowing that you can't compare it to Italian Job. You have to just go in it as being an action movie. If you do that, it's good fun. It's, you know, it's Charlie Theron, it's Seth Green, it's got... Jason Statham, Ed Norton. Like it's, a, it's got dull fun. It's a good cast doing good things. And there's some really good acting in it. But it just 
it falls down by the comparison. So I can entirely understand why it hasn't got a good rep because it is trying to trade off a better name, a better name than it is. But if you can, in your head, remove that, you'll have a good time. No, I, I agree with you. It's 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 a fun it's a fun romp of a film. It's got some good people and good things. It's in. just hamstrung by comparison. Yeah. So Sam, what do we do next week? I knew you say that, and I completely forgotten. So next next episode, guys, we are moving ahead about six years into the future, and we are picking up with the American heist crime film, The Sting. Oh. <laughs> Oh, good. I mean, I hope um, starring Paul Newman and Rob Bradford. It is iconic and classic in many ways that Italian Job is. And it's also a film that Sam and I have loved since we were teens and saw it for the first time. It is brilliant, and we'll talk more about this week. Till then, you can find both of us online at Precious Podcast. You can find just me at life underscore academic, although... Rob asked me a question about three weeks ago and uh, yeah, I only saw it last week. So I really should get better at looking at Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And you can find me at KaijuFM. If you enjoy our show, guys, we'd love you to give us a review or a rating. You can find reviews and ratings wherever you get podcasts, be that iTunes, be that Stitcher, be that Spotify, be that Podchaser. We'll put some links in the show notes. A review there or a rating there really helps us get ourselves in front of more people and helps us kind of grow the audience for this show, which I think we want to do. We've been doing this for a long time now and uh, we like you listening and we want more of you. So thanks for listening and we'll see you back here in two weeks.